0: so if you happen to have followed been following along the last the last month or so you'll know that the majority of our sermons have centered on one scripture out of mark 12 and we called it the jesus creed and it was uh i didn't come up with that title myself it was from a book that was written by uh it was written in 2004 wonderful book but it covers this scripture and the basic idea behind what we call the jesus creed or what we call the jesus creed was what jesus said were the greatest commandments and they're pretty doggone simple he was asked by a teacher of the law what are the what is is the greatest commandment and jesus responded with two things he quoted a a portion from leviticus and he quoted a portion from deuteronomy he said love the lord your god with all your heart with all your soul with all your mind and with all your strength and then he surprised everybody in the crowd by adding to that he said, oh, and love your neighbor as yourself. But he went beyond that, and he said something that really would have taken them off guard. It was radical 2,000 years ago, and it is just as radical today. He said, the second is like it, or the second is equal. The second is carries the same weight in the eyes of God as loving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and that is to love your neighbor as yourself. That's a radical idea. Loving my neighbor is just as important. Sacrificially loving my neighbor is just as important in the eyes of God as my love for him. And we talked about that for the last month, like I said, um, primarily focusing on what it looks like to love your neighbor. And it's some really, really challenging stuff. It's some really challenging stuff, especially that Jesus gives us throughout the Gospels as what that looks like. Sacrificial love, giving up our lives, giving up our selfishness, our our ego, our pride, and all of our prejudices for the purpose of sacrificially loving our neighbor. Last week, we focused on what it looks like to love God because we didn't talk about that for those three weeks. We focused on loving our neighbor, but last week out there, we talked about what it looks like to love God, and I'm going to get into that just a a little bit, Um, but not right now. During that sermon, we started started talking a little bit about church. As I moved through what it looks like to love God, we started talking about what it looks like to be the church. What is the church and what is my role in the church? Because I don't think that it looks, I don't think that the church that Christ talks about and I don't, the church that we see in scripture really resembles the church as we know it today, particularly in our culture. And I'm going to challenge you guys today to look into that as we explore some scripture regarding that. I think now is a very appropriate time to be discussing this because we're asking ourselves a lot of questions during this time of the coronavirus. We talked about it as we were doing our announcements a little bit earlier today. We're all struggling. We're all struggling to figure out how to do church. We're all asking ourselves some very serious questions, and we've all got very, very strong opinions about that what are we to do how are we to meet what is the appropriate thing that honors god those types of questions so now once again is a very appropriate time to start exploring some of this stuff and looking a little bit deeper into scripture into what christ has to say and into what the early church actually looked like and i'm going to be asking you guys a lot of questions today and i don't expect you to answer them but i want you to start asking yourselves these questions today because it's the same stuff that i'm asking myself And they're tough questions and they're challenging questions the majority of this sermon probably is going to be me spouting out some questions for you guys because we got to start thinking about this stuff church is bigger than just coming here on a Sunday morning and nothing that I say today should be construed to be critical towards any individual or anybody period I just want you to start asking yourself some tough questions the same tough questions that I ask Myself, because I believe in this time, and y'all can disagree with me if you want to. I may be wrong, and if I am, fine, that's fine. But I believe during this time, God is moving. I think that during this time, God is calling us for his purpose. And I don't know what that purpose is. I'm not a prophet, and I'm not going to stand up here and claim to be one. I don't know what that purpose is, but I know that God's moving. And I know he's got something good in store. And I think that's the stuff that we need to be lamenting on as it applies to our role as the body of Christ, as the church, as the people who are commissioned to carry out the message of the gospel and to live and to be that gospel. We are called, and y'all have seen this statement probably a lot of times on social media, but we're not called to go to church. We are called to what? There you go. All of y'all have seen that. That may sound like a very trite expression at this point, because we've seen it so much. But that's exactly what we are. Church isn't a place that we go to. It's not something that we just do. It's something we are. Even when we're not meeting together here on Sunday morning or Wednesday, midweek Wednesday or whatever, we are always, always the church. As individuals, as the corporate body, as the gathered body, we are Christ's representatives on earth at all times. The church... Let me give you a definition of what the church was in the new testament i'm not trying to show you how smart i am i'm not smart (laughs) Ask my wife but here's what the church looked like in the new testament here's how they understood what the church was in the new testament the word church in the new testament is the greek term ecclesia e-k-k-l-e-s-i-a and ecclesia meant several things you can find that word not obviously our bibles aren't written in greek But Ecclesia, or the church, is mentioned about 115 times in the New Testament. It's mentioned about 23 times alone in the book of Acts. Here's what the church was understood to be back then, and here's what it remains being right now. Number one, it is the body of Christ worldwide. And I think we need to understand that. Let's expand our knowledge and our idea of what the church is. It ain't just Broxton United Methodist. It ain't just First Baptist. It ain't just Broxton Church of God. When we are called into the relationship with Jesus Christ, we become the body, individual parts of a larger body, a global body. I don't think a lot of times we like to think beyond our immediate context, but we are part of the global body of Christ from the United States to China, to countries in Africa, to Russia, wherever, throughout history all of these people now and the ones that came the saints that came before us let that sink in for a minute we are all brothers and sisters in christ and we are all part of that global body of christianity secondly yes it does apply to the local congregation it it does apply to churches we we, we see those throughout acts by the way throughout the throughout the new testament where where churches met in homes a lot of times so yeah those are your local bodies and that's how we generally try to think it generally what most of us probably think of when we think of the word church is our is our local body and and that's that's part of it but what we have to understand first and foremost and here's where it gets starts getting a little complicated here's where it starts getting a little uneasy for a lot of us is that the church is not a building the church is what people If this building wasn't here, would we still meet? Honestly. If we didn't have buildings, would we still meet together? Yeah. <laughs> as the body of Christ. We happen to meet in a building that we also call it we also refer to as a church. And yes we do refer to the buildings as churches but understand there's a difference it's not just about a building it's about the people whether that's a local body of people that meets over at the parsonage that meets in a in a park somewhere that meets in the woods somewhere or they meet in a nice building like the one we've got a local body is people The scripture that we're going to go into today is going to paint a very vivid picture of what the church looked like in the New Testament. It's going to paint a very vivid picture of how believers gathered, what they did when they gathered, and how they felt when they gathered. So I want you to do something before we get into the scripture or while we're digging into this scripture. I want you to place yourself into that scripture and just like I did at Oak Grove last week I'm gonna read this particular scripture very very slowly and I want you to place yourself in the midst of what we're reading I want you to I want you to inside of your mind put yourself inside that early church take these words in and try to experience in your mind and in your heart what it must have been like to gather as this group of people. And then I'm going to ask you the same question that I asked Oak Grove last week. Does the church that we read about in this scripture even remotely resemble what we consider to be church today? It comes from the book of Acts, and there's actually two two places in Acts that, that really greatly... Describe what the early church looked like, but the one I want to read to you comes from Acts 2, and it's going to be verses 42 through 47. So it's the second chapter of Acts. Starting in verse 42, and again, seriously, as as I read this, place yourself there. Place yourself there 2,000 years ago as this body of people, the church, were gathered together. And what it must have been like to experience and to do the things that they experienced and did. Starting in 42, they, the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship of of breaking bread and to prayer everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and the signs that were being performed by the Apostles all of the believers were together and they had or they shared everything in common they sold property and they sold possessions to give to anyone who had need every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved can y'all picture that it's a word of God for the people of God and again I'm gonna I'm just gonna ask you some questions basically this is not so much telling you what to do or what to think but I think it's some I think there's a lot of questions that we need to ask ourselves when we look at this church and as we compare it I ain't saying compare it to, to what we experience at Brox United Methodist I'm talking about in generalities does the church culture that we read about in Acts chapter 2 and Acts 4 if you all want to take a look at that some point too does that even res- remotely resemble the culture of the church as we know it today? Take a look at 42. They devote- this, is- this is what they did. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to, the fe- and to fellowship and to the breaking of bread. How devoted are we to being discipled by other people? Because it says the body of Christ here devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. They were being discipled. That's one way that they grew. How devoted am I to being discipled by other people? To being taught by other people? By our elders, for example. How do I react when somebody confronts me with biblical truth? How do I react when some when I when somebody else knows that there's sin in my life and I'm confronted with it? Am I humble, or do do I react poorly and defensively? How willing am I to be discipled by somebody else? The church in Acts devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. How willing are we to be? Here's what we talked about last week at Oak Grove, by the way. How willing are we to be obedient and submissive to Jesus? How willing are we to be obedient and submissive to the written Word of God and God's will? We know what God's will is, most of us. Most of us have been in church for a long time. I told them last week, y'all don't need me to tell you what God's will is for the most part. Y'all know the Bible. Y'all know the Big Ten Commandments. We know when we're living outside of God's will. How willing are we to actually submit to that? Obedience and submissiveness is <laughs> what it looks like to love God. And that was the source of our, of, our, of our teaching or our sermon last week. That's what it looks like to love God, obedience. And we don't like those words. Let's just be honest. We don't like those words obedience and submissiveness, do we, Terry? Terry. That goes against our grain. That rubs us the wrong way a lot of times. It just sounds like nasty words because we like to do our own thing. We like to follow our own will, our own desires. We don't like to be obedient. Understand this we're not obedient to God because we're afraid of God. We're not obedient to God because we're trying to make Him happy. We're not, you know, grinding our teeth in obedience and submissiveness to God we obey God because we love God it's a natural reaction I obey God because I know what it, I try to anyway because I know that God wants the best for me I obey God because I know that God has my best intentions in mind he's not trying to hurt me my life goes a lot smoother when I obey God instead of me and I think we'll all find that that's truth it may not be what I want in the moment But we will find that that is truth god has my best interest in mind we obey and we submit out of love god has our best interest in mind all the time are we fellowshipping together frequently there's another part of verse 42 they devoted themselves to the apostles teaching and to fellowship do we fellowship together regularly do we desire to fellowship together Regularly. We're here on Sunday morning and that's awesome. I love it. I told you that. I meant that every word I said in the beginning. Do we have a desire to be together? Regularly. Because that's what being a part of the body of Christ looks like. These people wanted to be together. It was that type of love, it was that type of desire in their own hearts that drove them to that desire to simply be together, to break bread together. To literally eat together and of course to share communion together regularly they desired that they wanted that do we do that do our churches do that today is that what our church culture looks like what about prayer because that's the last thing they devoted themselves to devoted themselves to fellowship and prayer are we praying together as a community I'm sure every person out here prays individually And that's fine that's what we're supposed to do sure are we praying together as a community do churches bodies of christ local congregations regularly pray together whether it's two or three of you two or three of us or whether it's 50 of us are we praying together with each other for each other for our communities why do we undermine the power of prayer so often Why do we try to figure out the world's problems and fix everything by our own wills and by our own abilities? Do we even believe in the power and the reality of prayer today? If we do, why are we not drawn to pray together as the local body of Christ, as the global body of Christ? Do we believe what we say we believe? Because these folks certainly did. Check out 44 and 45, early church all the believers here's a good one. all the believers were together and they had everything in common they sold their property and they sold their possessions to give to anybody in need now i am not going to get up here and encourage you guys to sell all of your property but i will ask you this how genuinely hospitable and how genuinely generous are we as individuals As blood families, as married families, and of course as the family of Christ, how generous are we with the resources with which God has blessed us? Do we do the bare minimum or do we truly give and seek to help generously with the resources that we have? The church that we read about today literally shared everything in common. They literally gave up everything that they had. Some people believe that we're called to do that today. I'm not one of those people. But I do believe that we are called to radical generosity. And as I look out here today, I don't see a whole lot of people who are greatly struggling, including myself. I am very, very blessed. How generous are we with what we have been given by God, the resources that we have. Are we truly generous? Or do we do and give the bare minimum? There's other things I wanted to get into, but for the sake of time and the hotness, I'm gonna I'm gonna skip on. I will say this, I will say this. The sin of materialism that has engrossed our American culture has infected the church and it is a disease. it is a sinful disease that has infected our church our love for stuff our love for things our love for what Jesus Christ calls manna is a sin and it has infected our churches it is it is an idol it is idolatry all of these things that our culture tells us that we need all of these things that our culture tells us identifies us whether it's the label on our shirt the type of car that we drive etc When we embrace those ideas we are and and, and put those things above what christ has taught us we're 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 engaging in sin anything that we put above god is, is sin and that's again that's an infection and that's something we should all all consider 46 and 47 every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts they broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising god and enjoying the favor of all people i want to point out about six words right there Every day. Not for an hour on Sundays, every day. Skip to the end of that scripture. With what? Glad and sincere hearts. This church was joyful, they loved what they were doing. They embraced one another. They they didn't do all, all of these things. They weren't doing all of these things out of some weird sense of obligation. They did it because they loved it every day with glad and sincere hearts. I ask again, does the church of today in our culture remotely resemble the church that we read about of the early disciples? We all know the answer to that by now. There's a key word There's a key word that we need to embrace as we read about this early church. And it's a modern word. You're not going to find it in the Bible. But that word is community. Community. That's what being a Christian, that's what being the church is all about. Another sin that has greatly infected our church, and I talked about this last week, is individualism. This idea that the church is here to do everything for me, and that's why I go to church. Individualism is a cultural idea. It's this idea that I am my own person. I get to do what I want when I please. That is a secular idea that has never, ever, ever, ever been part of the intention of the church. When I become a member of the body of Christ, when I become a member of the global body of Christ, when I become a member of the local body of Christ, my individualism goes out the door. I no longer am my own. I belong to God and I belong to his church. And I am accountable to my wife. I am accountable to Janie. I am accountable to Jeff. I am accountable to Crystal, Betty, Terry, June, Ben. I'm accountable to all these people. And guess what? we all are too when I'm a part of a church when I claim to be a follower of Christ when I claim to be a Christian my individuality is over I know what I'm preaching sounds harsh and I don't mean it for it to sound harsh but I, these are concepts that we have long 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 lost church ain't about me Being a Christian ain't about me. Oh, and by the way, if anybody tells you that being a Christian, Jesus wants you to gain a bunch of wealth, they're wrong. I believe that the following Christ will lead us to the best way of life. But that's not what that means, necessarily. Not for all of us. For some of it, it does. But I go out the door as soon as I claim to be a Christian, as soon as I claim to be a member of Christ's church. It's no longer about me. Life's not about me. It's about God and it's about you guys. Church is a true community. with two sole purposes, worshiping God and serving others (laughs) with glad and sincere hearts. Does that resemble the church as we know it today? It's one of my biggest concerns as not only as a a new pastor, but also just as a Christian in general. It's one of my biggest concerns is how little the church culture overall resembles this early church that we read about Why do so many of us not want to serve the church with glad and sincere hearts? Why do we give the appearance anyway that we don't want to serve with glad and sincere hearts? I don't understand that. And I'm not putting myself on a pedestal and I'm not trying to bring anybody down. Am I serving my church? Am I serving my brothers and sisters with glad and sincere hearts? Or am I trudging along? Am I doing it sometimes out of obligation why that's, that's the question for me that's the question for me as a pastor and as a Christian I know a lot of pastors that get really frustrated when, when their attendance is not what they want it to be I know a lot of pastors that get really frustrated when their discipleship programs the attendance of their discipleship programs isn't what they wish it would be I face those same frustrations but I approach it from a different view it doesn't bother me that a person doesn't come to church it doesn't bother me necessarily that people are participating in this or that what I want to know what what I want to know is why that's what concerns me I don't care about numbers numbers mean absolutely nothing to me but if people aren't attending and participating in activities that the church offers my question is why why are we not drawn to this why why what is it that, I, that, that, that prevents me from being drawn from having that desire that glad and sincere heart desire to want to serve you guys to want to love you guys to want to serve God's church to want to grow in Christ's likeness to want to grow in love for God and neighbor. Why am I not drawn to that? Why is other stuff more important to me? That's what bothers me. That's what concerns me more than anything in the world right now regarding the condition of the overall church culture. I'm going to wrap up in about five minutes, guys. Bear with me. And I think. Here's my opinion, and I like to tell you when I'm expressing an opinion as opposed to something that's actual truth. My opinion is the the culture around us infects our church. My opinion is that the, the culture that we are surrounded by, the secular culture that we are surrounded by, comes into the church and we become really more like that than we are the actual church as it was intended to be. But I will tell you this, there are churches that look like this. There are churches that look like the ones that we read about in the book of Acts. You'll find them, I'm not saying they're not in our area, I'm sure they are, I'm sure they're, sure there's, sure, I'm sure they're scattered. But the ones that I know of, for sure, you're gonna find in very unexpected places, you're gonna find in, in places you've never thought of. Y'all know, where I've told you this before, y'all know where Christianity is growing most right now? Africa, Africa and Asia. Christianity is growing by leaps and bounds in some of the places we wouldn't even think of. Sandy makes fun of me. But I was recently contacted by a pastor in Africa. I can't remember what country it is. And no, he wasn't trying to sell me anything. He's a legitimate United Methodist pastor. And I've been communicating with this guy uh, for several weeks. He's very intelligent first thing he always asked me is how can I pray for you today what do you need he is more concerned about what I need in my role as a pastor than what he needs now let me tell you what this guy's got he's got a church that looks like a shanty I can show you pictures of it it's it's a real tiny shanty the, the, the yard is dirt I don't know the exact dimensions of it, but he tells me they've got about 50 people that regularly attend, and it's tiny. It's tiny. I hear other stories about what's going on in these other countries from other folks. A lot of y'all know Bobby Gale. We've donated money to Bobby before. Bobby does a lot of great work with, with uh, water wells and other things in, 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 on the African continent. Bobby has some amazing stories to tell you. About what the church looks like in in Africa he's got some amazing stories to tell you about how devoted people are to worshiping God and serving one another in some of the most unlikely places places that don't even have a roof where four to five hundred people will gather on a Sunday morning for no other purpose than they love God and they want to be together with their brothers and sisters I people and it's hot today it's humid people who don't care that it's hot and humid because it means more to them to worship God than it does to be comfortable that's what the early church looks like and that's what encourages me it's what encourages me that those things are going on somewhere in the world somewhere in the world can't we get back to that can not we get get back to are, are we so spoiled that we can't get back to that for some reason we can't get back to that genuine authentic love for God and each other do we not want that? These are the things that we should ask ourselves. If not, why? If not, why? And maybe I'm too intense. <laughs> maybe I expect too much. I don't really expect anything. But I think that, yeah, you know, when I read, when I read Scripture, when I read church history, I, I, I think I got a fairly good understanding of what God intended when he, when he created the church. And when it doesn't look like that, it bothers me. And it should bother us, it should bother all of us. So yeah, when I think about the church, that's what I want to see at Roxton United Methodist. When I think about the church, that's what I want to see at Oak Grove. When I think about the church, that's what I want to see at every one of these churches out here. Not just the Methodist church, care what denomination you are. All of them, that's what I want to see. And Frankly, that's what we should, we should all want to see. Can we get back to that? Because I'm gonna tell you, I think people are hungry. Maybe it's, maybe it's those of us who have been exposed to church a little too long. We just got a little stagnant we need something to move us. Because I do believe there are people outside the church that are hungry and thirsty for something real, for something authentic. And we're the ones who, has that, who have that offer. We're the ones who have the right answers. We're the ones that carry the truth. We're the ones that carry honest and authentic love for people. We know what that looks like people want that they want that authenticity they want those relationships and we've got that to offer when i read about the church in acts i see what god intended i see what christ intended and i see what the church once looked like and again that's 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 my vision i would love to be a part of that i would love to see our entire country (laughs) be a part of that once again. And I think we all would, wouldn't we? Isn't that isn't that what y'all want church to look like? What's stopping us? Y'all pray with me. Merciful God, we thank you so much for your love. We thank you, God, for establishing your church on earth. As weak as we are, as imperfect as we are, Father, you, you, have, you have placed it in our hands to carry out your work and your will. Accept us, God, as the imperfect people that we are. Move, our, move your grace in us. Work your Holy Spirit through us. May we become the church that you created for your glory, Heavenly Father. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.